You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome back to Practically Pastoring. My name is Frank, and I am glad that you are here. I am here with some of my best friends in all of ministry. Up in Baltimore, Maryland, we got Jeffrey Simpson. We're best friends? We are best friends. I, was gonna say, I don't oh. think we're that close. Uh, oh, all right. Well, whatever, guys. Dismiss my, my feelings. Uh, <laughs> down in uh, Sumter, South Carolina, Delmar P. Hello. I love you, Frank. With, it looks like you have dial up internet, by the way. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> you got really pixelated there. And then down in Tampa by himself, because Tim apparently has AC. In issues. 4K. In 4K, Andrew Larson. I've got my lights on and everything. I'm just trying to look handsome for you guys. Man. I love it. Hey, before we go any further, um, I just want to say this in the front because I always forget it and only talk about it in the back end. We have a Facebook group. And what's probably more important than even our podcast is our Facebook group. This is where well, we – okay, we, we talked about the podcast <laughs> in the Facebook group. And apparently, people have more interest about other podcasts in our Facebook group than our own podcast because people talk about the Marceau podcast. You announced that one more than group. ours. I mean <laughs> – But, hey, we have a podcast Facebook group called – it's a Practically Pastoring. If you go uh, look for the Facebook group, Practically Pastoring, we're in there. You have to answer three simple questions, and you're probably going to get approved anyways no matter what you say. But it's a podcast <laughs> Facebook group for people in ministry so wherever you are in ministry we want you there we my i'll say it straight up even the the reason behind this podcast starting was because the the men on this podcast we got together and i was i was lamenting about the fact that there's such good youth ministry groups and there's a toxic side a shadow side to all the youth ministry groups but what's great about the youth ministry groups is that there is an ability to be able to gather together to talk somewhat ecumenically to kind of just learn how to do youth ministry well and 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 when you get into this next seat up where you're talking about campus pastors and senior pastors it's very denominationally driven and you can't really have conversations over the bow to other ministries and other other churches and like this is why you can't I admit to... it. You can't admit that you don't know how to do something. You can't admit it. And how dare you ask someone from a different denomination for this advice, right? First so, of all, you—I mean—it's really two seats up because you campus pastor and then real pastor. Then, <laughs> real pastor. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so all that to say is, please join our uh, Facebook group. We're almost at five hundred people. Um, uh, I love that there's more conversations than just our podcast being talked about there. Um, and there's some really practical conversations, which is the hope of practice. When we get to 500, we're going to do a shirt giveaway, right? <laughs> I just want to do a podcast where we're all shirtless. That's are my, that's are those shirts stale yet? We've had them in a box for like a year. <laughs> that, that that smell when you first ink it's the gone. shirt? A new shirt it's smell. Gone, so it's good. So it's good. It's good. Yeah. The new shirt smell is actually terrible. You'll get new them from us good, and yeah. be like, is this new or did they wear these? Why does it smell like <laughs> chicken wings? Because it's been in Frank's Chick-fil-A closet. Yeah, yeah. Anyways. So join our Facebook group. Uh, love for you to be there. And then we have an Instagram. And then on the front end, before we go any further, uh, please uh, subscribe to the podcast and give us a review. It would be super helpful. All right. Hey, how's everyone doing? It's another week of ministry. Uh, you guys you guys, good? Anything interesting happening? Well, we're Timless today because he is likely in his pool because he told us his AC broke. And if those of you who've ever lived in Andrew, you definitely know this. And... I mean, Delmar, you too in South Carolina, oh, yeah. but like I spent four hundred bucks breaking, last week to have someone come and vacuum it out. In, yeah, AC breaking in July is that's a death sentence in Florida. It, it can't happen. It ain't good. No, 
It ain't good. I actually had RAC and the church broke on Thursday night last week. So of course I scrambled because it was we were having a we were having a bit of a heat wave here. It was like in the upper nineties for a number of days in a row, which is hot. Uh, and the humidity is actually it, it's very similar to Florida here when it gets like that because we are um, really close You're to on the, the water. water. Chesapeake Bay. And so, uh, yeah, it gets really humid and gross. And so it was like 96 degrees. And my wife, the church ladies threw my wife a surprise baby shower. Uh, and so um, that night was when the AC started to not work right. And mm-hmm. so in the in the room where the baby shower was, it was working okay. So by the end of the baby shower, it was like 80 degrees in the room with fans running and it was really gross. And then Saturday it cooled back down. So the high on Saturday was only like 88 and then Sunday was like 85. It was beautiful yesterday, but they couldn't fix the AC until today. So we had church on Sunday morning. It started at like 72 degrees in there. And then it like by the end of the service, it was up close to 80. And I felt bad because there was two more churches that use our building. Oh, So in the middle of the day, they were in there and it was like 85 and then like 88 by the heat of the day inside the room. So it was it was stifling in there, but we made it through and the AC guy came and fixed it today. So back to Jeff, being I wanna, nice. And- I, I want to piggyback on what you said, not so much on the air conditioning, on the other churches using your building. I had to... Uh, tell a church who was asking to use our building no today, which Ooh, fun, I felt like the bi- I felt I felt like the biggest jerk ever. But it's it's such a weird situation. So I got a, a text when I was on vacation up in Arkansas. First of all, it was like the the ask was over text. It was not a hey, let me sit you down, let me give you the plan of what we're thinking. It was a text, and I didn't. I guess I didn't fully read it until today because I in my mind I thought it was this is a new church plant. And they're looking to have a place to meet for the first couple of weeks while they launch. But the ask was for five months up front, which seems like a pretty big ask when they're asking in July and their launch date is August 22nd. So like they're like, hey, July 6th, I got the ask and it was, hey, starting August 22nd, can we meet in your space Sunday evenings for the next five months? And then we've got a, a new preschool that just opened and, you know, we because of the preschool, we've had to change our cleaning schedule because the cleaning people can't yeah. be here when the kid when the kids are here. And so Sunday afternoon and evening is when the cleaning people are here. And really just with, with all the new people being in our space, the elders and, and I just didn't I actually I said, you know, my spider senses were kind of now's not the time and the elders are, were kind of like, Hey, we're gonna acquiesce to you on this one. And so I had to to reach out today and be like, Hey, sorry, it's not gonna work. But how how many churches you've got three churches that meet there do they do they pay rent what's the arrangement and can you can your church activity can your church's activity trump their regularly scheduled programming uh so there's a total of three churches that meet in this building including ours uh we own the building outright and uh so an an average week on sunday morning we're here from you know about nine o'clock um until 12, 1230, the last person's rolling out. Services at 1045, you know, it's usually done by 12. Uh, so at the latest, that's the longest we'd go. And then, you know, people are rolling out by 1230 at the latest. So, and then uh, a church that is uh, made up of immigrants from Myanmar uh, or Burma uh, is here at one o'clock. And uh, about every six weeks, I have to remind them, hey guys, one o'clock, not 1230. 
one o'clock, you know, because they want to come early and then it's kind of disruptive and you have the whole and especially now you've got like COVID concerns and they're concerned and some of my folks are concerned and they don't know each other. Or so, uh, but they come at one o'clock and they're here till about four, four thirty, And then at about five thirty, a predominantly Honduran and El Salvadoran church, Spanish speaking church shows up and they're here until nine, nine thirty. So, um, the Spanish speaking church is also here on Tuesday night, uh, and Thursday night. And then uh, like the Dang. third front, the third Friday of the month, I think they're here as well, uh, Friday night. And then uh, do we have, yes, we have a, we call it a memorandum of agreement. Uh, so it's like an agreement between the two parties. Uh, they pay, I think they pay $60 an hour or something to use the building. And it's, you know, it's spelled out in the agreement. You can use this room and that room and the sound equipment and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And we go, we, we revamp that every six months just to give both of us like, opportunity if they start saying like ah this doesn't work for us or it does we had to change a lot during covid and when the building opened the fellowship hall wasn't open so we redid their agreement to say you know and instead of paying 60 dollars an hour for the whole building you just pay us 60 dollars when you have a meeting because you're only allowed to use the sanctuary hmm. so if you go two hours we're cutting you a break we're not you know we're not trying to make money we're just trying to break even and have the building you know not cost us to have people in it um and then as far as our events, the two days of the week that I are off limits are Saturday nights. Uh, I don't let anybody use the building Saturday night because I don't want to deal with a broken air conditioner on Sunday morning or something happened the night before, or they just forgot to clean. There was a while where the one of the churches liked to do like really late into the wee hours of the morning prayer meetings, which is fine, but then it would be two Not in the morning. Unicus. And, it'd be two in the morning and they wouldn't, they'd be like, well, we were so tired and we just couldn't clean. And I'm like, yeah, I understand that, but we're coming in the next day and we would like to know that our building is ready to go. So Saturday nights, we just don't let anybody, we used to actually have a church plant that met on Saturday nights and they were so small. Uh, they only used like a classroom and it was fine, but Saturday nights are off limits and Wednesday nights are off limits. So I know that those two nights I can do anything I want. And then Friday nights are kind of a, on case-by-case basis. If they want to do a special event, they can ask. And then as far as like, will our events trump theirs? The only time we've really run into that is like, we do a missions emphasis every year as part of our denomination. And that will sometimes include a lunch on a Sunday. So sometimes the Burmese church, we have to tell them, hey, we're going to be there uh, until two o'clock. So you're going to have to push back your start time. And But that's only happened like... They've been here for like two years. That's only happened like maybe twice. Are these all CMA churches? No. The, uh, I'm trying to convince the Burmese church to join our denomination because they are they literally just were a group of immigrants who were also Christians who were persecuted politically in Myanmar for their tribe that they're a part of who live in this area and realized they all were meeting in a house and they found our building and uh, they started coming to church. Uh, like three of them started coming to church to our services for like six weeks. And then they asked me, you know, could they use our building? And I said, yeah. So I'm trying to convince them to just join our denomination because like they're a perfect fit. Um, do you get royalties? You know, uh, no, but do you get a kickback? There you go. We've actually, we also even just talked about like, I mean, what about you guys just like joining us as a church and we would figure out how to have some of your elders become our elders. And like, we would just combine together. Uh, our church is pretty international already, so it really wouldn't be that big of a deal. But like, 
our children's ministry would like quadruple immediately because they have a lot, we have a lot of kids. So, you know what, like when we built our playground, part of our motivation was these other churches that use our building have a lot of kids. We don't right now, but they do. And, you know, we have this building, we don't have any debt. So, I mean, we, Hmm. they're reaching people we can't reach. So I view it as a, as a positive. For sure. I, I felt so bad telling this church no. And part of it, part of the reason they asked is because we had a, we had a church that was here for five months, seven months during COVID. They, they had met in an elementary school and they got kicked. They didn't, you know, they didn't get kicked out, but the elementary school was closed down and so they couldn't meet. And so they were here. So this other church knew that we had had another church in our fellowship hall kind of semi long term before, but I don't know. I just, I felt like the biggest jerk being like, sorry, doesn't well, work right now. As someone who has we, gotten like, told there's repeatedly, there's something to keeping like. As someone who's gotten told repeatedly, you can't come here, you can't worship here. Let me tell you, they think you're a jerk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I, at the I same time, it. I would rather you own that on the front end than the tail end, bro. Because it is, I, I, and Jeff, I really appreciate his due diligence because he knows what he gets himself into. But there are a lot of church who like, yeah, sure, let's sublet it out. And they don't realize everything involved in that. And then you've got this other body yeah. of believers with you. And now you have no, you're only going to have tension. It's going to end poorly. So honestly, and I respect you saying no on the front end. And, oh, we can try to make it work if you can't. Yeah. Well, it has to be a culture thing too. Like you have to... You have, I constantly am telling people at my church, like, look, you know, part of, I mean, the, the reality is part of renting the building for a small congregation is it, it does help cash flow a lot. Yeah. Um, but also it's like there, you know, there's a gospel presence that they have that we don't have in those communities. And so like, we just all have to get over the reality that like our building is never going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're just just understand it. It's like, we're, you know, we're sharing a house with, with friends. Like we're going to walk in and, and like, you know, something's going to be a little bit out of place and that's okay. In the sink and a weird smell. Yeah. So just like, it's cool. Like the, me, the sound equipment's not going to be perfect. Everything's going to be different, but it it's worth it. So let me ask this question. Cause I've, I've seen this, this brought up on Twitter a couple of times. And, and when I hear what you're doing, Jeff, I feel like you have a really good, like, clear conscious in this conversation, but I would still like your input. Uh, and then we can wrap up this part of the conversation. Uh, we, a criticism that the church gets often is that we have these big buildings with all these rooms and air conditioning and heat and all this stuff, but yet it's typically only used for a, an hour or two on Sunday and it's yeah. left pretty vacant the rest of the week. And so the, so people criticize the church and they, you know, they bring up tax exempt statuses and all this other stuff, but, but they say like, you know, the church could be opening up, as a place to house homeless people or uh, they could do other stuff during the week. Why are they just hoarding all this space and all these resources to effectively only have something going on on Sunday morning? Uh, it's interesting to hear when you, I mean, as a person who works in the church to hear that you have two other churches or three other churches working, like serving the same building stresses me out. And and I know why it stresses me out because I've been working in the church and I know what it's like to enter into a building that's messy and you have to clean it because you have 45 minutes before your service starts or whatever, or the risk of things getting broken, strangers walking into your building. And so equipment getting stolen, all those risks are involved, but that obviously is not like a very satisfactory answer to folks who think that we have all these space and, and, and we're not doing anything. Now, Dunbar, you're obviously you're renting a space and you're, you're, you just share that tension of like, man, if a church said we can host our services, it might not even make sense for you because 
Like you probably want your services at the same time as they're hosting their services, but like space is risky. And Andrew, you went through a season of having people rent the space, and now you're you're kind of drawing back from that. I guess when if you were to hear that argument from a congregate or a stranger up the street, like you have this giant building with all this space and it's just empty during a week, how do you respond to that? I would ask how many homeless people are living in their house for first. <laughs> Got them. Sure. No, but secondly, uh, in all seriousness. Um, I mean, that's a legitimate, that's a legitimate question. I think some of that, why aren't you housing people? And I think people say that without knowing anything about what that would mean. Um, there's insurance involved, there's liability, there's all kinds of things. So it's, it's a, it's a tension that you're always going to live in between stewardship and generosity. And, uh, I just think, you know, there's two different ways to look at the church. Is the church a, um, a place to collect things like a storehouse or is it a clearinghouse? And I tend to view the church as a clearinghouse. So like our building exists for ministry. So if we have to paint it every six months because there's kids' fingerprints all over the walls, well, that means there's kids in our church. Yeah. You know, if you, in my context, if this church building stayed perfect, it means it's empty. Um, if there's kids being wild and, you know, I mean, when I was in youth group, we were throwing pool balls through the wall and playing all kinds of crazy games, like breaking stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the church was fine with it because it meant there was youth in the building and there was people there building relationships. And I just, I mean, that's just something that my church is just used to. They've had renters here the, the one church that speaks Spanish has been here for 13 years. So, um, they've had a long-term relationship and yeah, they bring chairs outside when they're really not technically supposed to. They, you know, they borrow tables sometimes without really saying it's anything. It's like having I mean, a youth group in your church. Kind of. But, you know, part of it is there's a culture barrier. There's a language barrier um, because, you know, most of their congregation speaks only Spanish or right. only Burmese. And I don't. But, I mean, when I, you know, last night I was out. I, was, I live in a parsonage. I was on the deck of my house, which I can look and see the parking lot of the church. Like I could yell to somebody who's at the church. That's how close I am. And the, the church door opened and all these little kids came out of the church, like probably 25 little kids, all holding a chair, which they technically aren't supposed to take out of the church building. Uh, and they brought it over to this little patch of grass that's kind of right by my house. And they set up their little chairs and they started playing a game. And, you know, my limited Spanish could listen to the songs they were singing. And they were singing, they were singing these like catechism songs to these kids about wow. their sin. And, you know, Jesus you know, healing them and rescuing them from their sin. And I'm like, I mean, am I about a contract here or am I about like the gospel reaching a, a group of people that I can't reach? So, I mean, look, you're building, if you're going to rent your building and work with other people, just like, it's not going to be perfect. And the worship leader in me needs to hear that because it drives me nuts when I come in on a Sunday morning and the soundboard is not exactly how I left it. And there's, you know, cables that are messy and, but you know what? You just pick them up one more time and you just, you just move on. I mean, so for us saying no this time, it, this the the main reason was that the building isn't empty because we have a preschool mm -hmm. that's that's back there. But that cleaning the night before thing is a deal breaker. Exactly, I mean, you, you exactly you can't you you can't do it. But just in general, when people complain about the the church or the tax status, shoot, I think the pastor's housing allowance. If the general public understood that. That would yeah. be way, way more of a concern for the vast majority of people than churches being tax exempt because every school is also tax exempt unless you're University of Phoenix. And so I, I think just in general, <laughs> unless 
the same argument about churches. You can say, well, don't talk about you, our tax exempt status. I, I'm telling Keep you, that quiet, but, Andrew. But you, 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 don't, you don't ask. Out here. You don't ask the University of Florida why they don't house homeless people in their dorms during the summer, and they're just as tax exempt as any church, and they actually have beds and showers. So that argument just doesn't really hold water. But when you look at the church or religious institutions in general and the tax statuses that we have, sometimes you got to just shrug your shoulders and say, do you know what? This is a benefit to living in the society that we live in. And there I mean, are churches. In, exactly. There are churches in other societies and other countries that do the same things that we're doing without the benefits that we have. And by the grace of God, we have these benefits and we are thrilled that we do, but we'd be doing it whether or not we did. And if, you know, if if we did not have the tax status that we did on, especially for us on the land that we have, who knows? Who knows if it would make sense to own or if we would be the people renting out the movie theater at some point. But for such a time as this, as long as the the law the laws exist the way that they do, we're going to keep having a building and having a presence in a downtown area that mm-hmm. a whole lot of land developers look at and think that why do they get to afford that? And we're thrilled that we do. That's good. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to read this article from the Gospel Coalition about whether or not our churches are in a bubble and how to pop. We'll be right back. Welcome back to uh, the show. We're going to dive into this clergy cliff note. Uh, Eugene Park on July 5th wrote this article, Three Signs Your Church is in a Bubble and Three Tips for Popping It. And I thought it was really good. There, it begins with this quote. And I think we've talked about I've heard this quote before. I think I read about it in um, either Jesus and John Wayne or The Color of Compromise. It mentions how uh, the, our congregations are not necessarily being discipled by their pastors, but they're being discipled by the media. They're being discipled by um, uh, Fox News, CNN, all that kind of thing. In fact, if you listen to the Jesus and John Wayne podcast that's being put up by the Holy Post, they go even deeper about how the the biggest institutions that are actually discipling our people are people who are not under any accountability, like the Gospel Coalition or Desiring God or these different kind of like – The only way. accountability is the market. Is the market, yeah. It's, yeah. These, it's these organizations that create uh, goods for the Christian market. And they're the ones influencing our people, not necessarily the people who are – not necessarily the, the leaders God has appointed in the church. Anyways, we're going off the rails here, but the point of this is that sometimes certain kind of ideologies and and weird kind of beliefs are entering to our church. And so the, the question to ask is, is your church in a bubble? And, and by bubble, like an ideological bubble, a political bubble – and so he gives some diagnostic questions to ask ourselves and then ways to pop it. So the three diagnostic questions are whether or not the congregation is more concerned about ideology over doctrine, which, man, that, that, that first question is already like an easy, like good diagnostic to have a deep conversation. Uh, the next conversation is uniformity. You know, like, like, is there some sort of like uniformity in terms of the way your churches, Jeff's churches in Baltimore, and is there something about all the churches in Baltimore believe and act a certain way compared to all the churches in Sumter, South Carolina? And then there's this uh, us versus them mentality, which, I mean, uh, you, you could claim, you know, that's kind of like more of like a fundamentalist, you know, conservative mentality, but it's not true. I mean, there could, there could be liberal churches that have an us versus them mentality and things like that. And then the way you pop it is by uh, – he, he suggests that you let the air out slowly. You don't 
if you just come in there with guns a blazing, exposing the problem, you might just be reinforcing their already kind of biased views. Um, specifically addressing the issue, and I, I mean, in this article, it talks about specifically talking about CRT, complementarianism, whatever divisive issues going on in the church, and then uh, dealing with the fact that our people are being discipled through social media more than they're being discipled through God's word in the church, and 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 kind of explaining and kind of casting a vision of what social media should look like for the average believer. So, anyways, I, I thought it was a really good article. I would recommend everyone reading it. It's pretty short. But uh, I guess my question to you guys is, after you read the article, what are your thoughts? Do you feel like your church is in a bubble? Do you feel like it's not in a bubble? I want to hear more about what you guys thought about it. I think in my church, there's I can definitely see bubbles. Um, and I think there are definitely bubbles of people who rarely talk to one another. I don't know that my entire church is one bubble. Um, and I said, I think I said this even earlier today, but you know, my church has a really interesting diversity of, uh, nationalities. So some of that will change the way you view politics and stuff. Um, but I don't, I don't find it's probably even if not a little more, um, when someone comes up and says, Hey pastor, can I ask you a question? It's, it's probably close to 50, 50 that it's some nuanced theological thing, or something else more than, hey, you know, what do you believe about this political thing? Or did you vote this way? Or do you watch this particular news or that particular news? Um, I will say I tend to hear more of the political stuff from those who lean right than those who lean left in my church. Um, they tend to be more like upset about it. But other than that, and it's slight, if any, but other than that, it's it's more like I just had a really refreshing conversation about what preaching is with one of the singers on my worship team, like before Sunday started. And uh, it was kind of fun. You know, I like forgot how like fun that is to have those kind of like honest, tell me about what, what this means and how this works and what is preaching the word even mean. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't know that our church has like one particular bubble, but there's certainly bubbles and, you know, COVID exposed those a little bit. And, um, now that masks are lifted, some of those bubbles are like flipping places, which has been kind of interesting. Um, so I don't know for us if it's one monolithic bubble, but they're definitely bubbles. I don't feel like we're really in a bubble. I feel, you know, like we we kind of have a, a good mix of people, but it's just funny, you know, the the timing of of this article that that we're reading and so much of what I was thinking about this this weekend, and I know we're gonna get into the how to pop the bubbles here in a little bit. But I was kind of realizing, wow, you know, my wife and I have been at this church for four years now and kind of going back and seeing what things were like four years ago when we got here compared to now to think, okay, maybe, maybe we were kind of in a bubble. And I don't think it was one of the bubbles that was necessarily mentioned or one of the three signs that you were in a bubble that was mentioned there. But for our church, it was kind of like a shared trauma the the church had been through some really bad leadership for several years and so the you know there was very calloused and you know wanting change and wanting to to be open and but also wanting to be calloused and be protective so i feel like that was the kind of bubble that we had been in and it was kind of neat to read this and be like all right i think we're beyond that and it just happened to be what i was reflecting on while spending some time in prayer this week um before we got this article sent to us. So that worked out really well. You know, what's, what's interesting is like, 
I, I think about like the influence of a pastor over their congregation. And, and, you know, we talked about preaching a couple of weeks ago and we read that book together. And I think that like, I still think expositional preaching is probably um, at least my preferred way of, 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 of seeing preaching in the church. But one of the, one of the, the deficits that happens is I, I like how Jeff said, maybe not one big bubble, but there's multiple bubbles. And the thing is when you do expositional preaching, those bubbles will never really be interacted with necessarily unless the Lord divinely plants that this passage lines up with the bubble of the issue, right? And so I think that like one, one thing I've noticed is that, you know, it took until we um, uh, stopped what we were doing in whatever book of the Bible we were in to specifically talk about race that we realized that this was a hot topic in our church that led to some people leaving our church and stuff like that. And I think those discussions, um, I think that like one of the ways to pop the bubble is to actually have those discussions. And I think in a church where it's primarily expositional preaching, which I would, I would venture to say people would say in our church and, and you see this online is people would say, well, shut up and preach the gospel. Well, we are doing that. And what we're seeing in that is that, these conversations aren't being addressed and they're just kind of like brewing in the background. Right. And, and so then when I have a, Hey pastor, I have a question for you. Sometimes the questions are so shocking to me because no one on staff thinks the way you think, but nothing has been communicated to the preaching to indicate any kind of difference because of the fact that we've been just prodding along and you know, faithfully preaching a different book of the Bible or whatever. And your pet issue that's wild and conspiratorial or whatever is never going to get brought up because it's like unless we have a specific sermon series on whatever that issue. And and so I actually appreciate the fact that like even the conversation about like complementarianism, which is not necessarily like a controversial thing in my church, it, there could be a person who, who, who wants to see a woman in leadership and go to a church that's complementarian and never realize that the church is complementarian because it's not a topic that's brought up unless you're like randomly in First Timothy, right? Yeah, because <laughs> so, they've been going verse by verse through Matthew for the past six months. So how yeah. are you going to know? How are you going to know? And, and then, they may not even know that that's even a theological debate. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. so then, so then in the random stance where someone says, "Hey, how come of all the guest preachers, there's never been a woman preacher?" And you say, "Oh, well, we're complementarian," they'll be like, "I." I've been here for two years and I've never known that, right? Now, there could be a sense of like, what's going on in our church membership? Why aren't we articulating our values? That stuff could be in place. But I, I do think that like perhaps one of the uh, the shadow sides of preaching expositionally is that you miss the opportunity to really address these issues. Or inversely, churches do that do preach expositionally use their expositional preaching to hide behind the fact that they don't ever have to, you don't ever have to talk about CRT because, Hey, we're just being faithful and preaching the gospel. That's a, that's a, that's a, a thing for the world to deal with. And you never engage these hard conversations. So you're actually kind of like not holistically discipling your people because you're just being faithful and preaching the gospel. Which, which tends to mean that your people don't know how to think like Christianly about that stuff. Cause the only way they're like even hearing of other people talk about it is like what you said, they're getting discipled by whatever news channel they happen to watch or whichever social media's algorithm, whatever it feeds them. Well, so the, the only way they're learning to talk about it is basically outrage right now, and they're not learning how to talk about it in a way that's Christ-like and kingdom-minded. That's fair. But that I can't would, be too shocking no, because was, a lot, like most people, you know, mo most people in church leadership aren't thinking about things that way, let alone the laity. Yeah, true. 
I would say that, you know, good expositional preaching, though, teaches people how to approach the text. So when they are home, because hopefully our people are approaching God in private, like when they're home and they read these passages that would lean into what we're saying about reconciliation and stuff like that, they're approaching it from a godly perspective. And I think that there is a, a difference between if I'm just coming at it topically every week, what am I teaching? How am I teaching people how to handle the word potentially? And Dumber, I think I, I agree with you, but I feel like that is that's a very aspirational belief that's not oh, absolutely ever. no no because, and that's what I am talking about is aspirationally uh, <laughs> because I mean how many people I mean I mean I don't care about naming names like we could talk about James White we could talk about Fody Bach and we could talk about these people who like I believe like faithfully can exegete God I mean John MacArthur like I don't think he doesn't know how to read the Bible but there somehow is these comp- compartmentalizations where that doesn't feed into other issues where it's like like you could say something insanely racist and yet still have really good theology. And it's just not practically applying to that one aspect because of an ideological worldview that supersedes their theological convictions. And, and, and that's, so I just named like three pastors or whatever, but like, I think for the record, Frank just said that Johnny Mac is a racist. (laughs) I'm not saying Johnny Mac is a racist. What I'm saying, I don't, I don't, he could be, I don't know if he's racist. That's what I heard. (laughs) <laughs> what I am saying is I <laughs> he said he could be he could be I don't know everyone could be racist I don't know who's a racist what I do know is is that I I I I feel like the past few years have tempered my expectations of just because you can espouse good theology ortho, orthodoxy and all that kind of stuff that the other side orthopraxy or even more orthopathy which is right feeling is sometimes missed, right? And I think for me, that's been like the source of like kind of the most discouragement is like, I there's people who've been attending my church or other churches faithfully for years and still have really, really whack views on some certain social issues that can easily be explained if you practically apply a scripture to these different issues. And, and I think what we're seeing here is like, it's like a compartmentalization where ideology is trumping actual biblical conviction. Does that make sense? No, mm-hmm. I, I agree with that. And I think anytime we, we nestle up to these issues, because to your point, Frank, sometimes churches have had to stop and talk about issues. Like in, in here in uh, Sumter, all the pastors collectively, I say all of them, quite a substantial amount of the pastors from every ethnicity agreed we will preach on racism. And one of the pastors straight up got fired from his church. Like because he was going in some areas they didn't want to go. We lost a pastor in this community because he chose to do that. So I think one of the things I've noticed when you push into these areas and we're going to have these one-off things where we discuss these bubble popping issues, most of the times the people aren't necessarily listening to what you say. A lot of times when you preach these, quote, controversial sermons, they're listening to what you don't say. You know, you're getting ringed for what you don't say. You know, on our staff, I'll just share, we have a really blended staff politically and theologically at our church. There are... Uh, pretty much Arminians and five pointers serving on the same staff. There are, um, you know, conspiracy theory, right. And leftists on the same staff. So like it, it creates, on for, this, wait, wait, you got conspiracy theorists on staff. That's, a, that seems like a pretty big issue. I will say, he just said he's got, he just well, said they on. have deers that work there. Yeah. He said they got five yeah. pointers. They got yeah. like, yeah. they got depending like, bucks. On who, <laughs> hey, depending on who you ask, you know, 
six months ago, Wuhan virus in a lab was conspiracy. So, you know, everything's conspiracy now. But the point being made, we have conservatives and liberals. So, like, there's a tension that you have to manage. And every time I've noticed, at least in our context, is like the second we we step outside of the scope of Scripture and poke our head around what's going on, it's really easy to become a slave to the culture. And then now we're preaching from our newspaper instead of, from God's word. Whereas I do think that venue needs to be appropriate. And and we did, we did some series on racism too. And, um, there were people who left our church. We actually did a, um, a March here in town where the police, we, our church gathered with the largest African-American church in town. We marched with the police and that was back when COVID was in full fling. So our pastor, you couldn't shake hands or anything back then. Right. So our pastor just kind of nodded forward. And someone said that he was bowing to the, the African and put an African shawl on him. And like, it went super racist around here just because we're trying to do some stuff for the gospel. So like you have to, I guess the, the, the point I'm trying to make is this, when you poke the bubble, you're going to lose people and you have to be ready for that. And you may be the person who gets, who, who is the one who gets lost, if that makes sense. So we have to be very careful because we're talking about aspirational things. This entire article is aspirational, like to not to live in a church with no bubbles fun, but that's aspirational because anytime you start doing this, we are unnaturally emotionally connected to these issues right now, partially because of the point you guys were making in that our culture disciples us instead of God, um, God's people and his word discipling us now. Don't even get me started on TikTok profits. Okay. But like this is, it's not ending anytime soon. So the, the tension I think we have to face as a church, as we're turning the, the corner in this new political space is how do we enter the creation? of culture segment again, because we lost that foothold. The church used to create the culture and everyone stepped into it. Well, now what are we doing? We're jumping on the bandwagon with where the culture's going. Um, and so I think we really have to think even beyond popping the bubble, like how do we create the culture? And that's a, I don't have the answer for that one, but that's where I throw it. I do agree. I, I think the, the the natural and probably right consequences of popping these bubbles is that you're going to probably lose some people and you may get in trouble for it too. You know what I'm saying? Like, like what if the, the ideological bubble that your church is in is actually led by your leadership and that you're just like from a position below trying to, to help pop it? I, it's rough. We I mean, the other thing is like it be very careful to think that you're the only one that's not in the bubble. That's right. Like you're holier than everybody else and you don't have any bubbles. You, you're wrong too sometimes. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think it's easy to play the game of like, well, I'm the, I'm the, you know, the, the Messiah that's going to come in here and help everyone to see everything perfectly. Now, nah, man, you got some flaws and some, some blind spots too that, you know, hopefully you have some good elders around you that can pop some of your bubbles as well. A- Andrew said this before the show. I thought it was good. It's like um, Mark Driscoll is being attacked in 2014 for the stuff he did when he was in 2007 or whatever. And it's like, I, you know, it's the, the easiest way, and I would encourage all of us to do this. The easiest way to see your own bubbles is by look at the Facebook post from your memories from like two, like from 10 years ago. Ooh. I look at that stuff and I'm like, who are you? And why, <laughs> why are you the way you are? Like I would, I would chastise that guy so bad because of how, I mean, but the reality is, is like, you're right. Yeah. We have, I mean, I, I think like self-awareness is a, is a gift, but even in our own self-awareness, we have our own biases that make us blind to our own 
we're using this, the, the term bubbles, those type of things. So it's like, I think proper accountability is, is, is huge, but I mean, that's the thing, man. It's like, no one has accountability these days or the accountability is a bunch of yes men. So Andrew, you're going to say something. I, I was just going to say, you know, when it comes to the popping the bubbles and there's, you know, again, just one of those, the, some time alone with God that I had this past week was just fed perfectly into this article. And for just for some context, you know, I was thinking about, I've got a buddy who took over a church of about the size that my church was when I got here and his church has just blown up. I mean, it's gone from, you know, a couple dozen people to several hundred in a period of nine or 10 months. And, and ours hasn't. And it was kind of, you know, all right, you know, God, this is where you have me. What up? You know, and the, the sense that I got, and I'm not like a, Oh, I had a voice from the Lord. That's not what I'm saying, but just in kind of thinking through what had happened and the, the idea that was just impressed on me was you have to know what you are called to be. And especially when it comes to ministering in a setting that has these bubbles or that has these false ideal ideologies or whatever it may be. Some, some pastors are called to be revolutionaries and some are called to be stabilizers. And it's, you know, it's the, it's the same with, with governments, you know, some governments are going to come into, uh, you know, are going to come as the result of a revolution and some governments are going to be needed to uh, stabilize after a bad revolution. And so when it comes time to pop in the bubbles, you really have to deeply ask God what it is that he's calling you to do. Because if you want to be that revolutionary fighter and really people just need an arm around them, ooh, we're dancing. <laughs> you know, I, I just think we we need to have the self-aware, but also to lean in self-awareness, but also the ability to lean into who God has called us to be because we're not going to be called to pop bubbles that we're not supposed to be popping. So what, what is it are you supposed that you're supposed to do? Are you trying to stabilize an unstable situation or are you trying to start a revolution when you're popping these bubbles? That's good. I'm going to leave it on that note. Leave it some mystery there. And uh, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to dive into our main discussion. Welcome back. Um, so we are going to specifically talk about uh, uh, criticism. And I, and I actually saw an article somewhere about uh, how to process criticism. Uh, we may have even talked about this before. I, I think this kind of goes right in, neatly into kind of the, the aim of practically pastoring. A lot of young pastors are now in these roles where they have more eyes on them and therefore criticism is, is, a, is a bit more sharp, a bit more direct. And, and to be able to process that, or sometimes you get unfair criticism or criticism that you can't even do anything about like dumb our campus pastors you want to criticize the the men's event okay criticize it that ain't my yeah. event <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to do for you whatever but but but, but, but i think sometimes criticism comes up so here's an example of something that happened to me we'd love to hear more from you guys is is what do you do when you get criticized about your message Right after your sermon on a Sunday so you get off stage and someone comes up and criticizes you i'll give you some examples it's like um uh, the situation I'm in is like the the uh, the the criticism that I've gotten actually come from like more friends theological positions than I am in, and so therefore it's like yeah you disagree with my sermon because you have like a theological framework that's kind of unique so so you know I made a statement that like Satan is actively trying to um, uh, you know 
suppress truth and, and that him and his kingdom are, are, are actively involved in trying to uh, attack what God's kingdom is trying to do. A pretty kind of like sanitized statement. It's not, not really controversial. However, if you're a preterist, you don't believe that. You believe Satan isn't active, that Satan is bound right now, and that 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 the world is actually getting better. So to make any kind of claims that the world is getting worse is a a, a controversial statement. And so I didn't know how to. Pro- First of all, I didn't know how to even respond to that because I wasn't expecting to talk to a preterist today. But but beyond that, it's like you have these kind of criticisms that uh, don't necessarily even um, apply to what you're talking about, right? Like like it's it's in your sermon, but it's not necessarily the, an issue. And so it's oftentimes criticism. Not about your main objective or your point of your sermon, but kind of a critique of something very nuanced and subtle. It could be like a critique of your illustration, right? Like, I don't like the fact how you bashed on Chick-fil-A. Like, that's, it doesn't matter, right? You know, these type of things. So my question is, is how do you handle criticism when it comes right after a sermon or it's about your sermon? And then I want to also ask a question, like, what do you do with criticism when it's not necessarily biblical? So, like, if someone were to say to you, Andrew, um, how come you don't speak more about the liberal agenda in our country or whatever, right? Like, I've I recently I recently got a criticism that we are not speaking up about the fact that they're putting microchips in vaccines, and we should be warning our people about that, right? You like, mean you're not? None of the, none of that is in the Bible. And again, I don't want to specifically to focus on right wing stuff. I could focus on left wing stuff and say, how come your church didn't specifically talk about this, the attacks on January six, right? How come your church isn't doing more? in terms of racial reconciliation in your city, right? These are kind of like non, like not necessarily specific issues with your church, but maybe what you're not doing, which is a tough criticism because you can be criticized indefinitely about the things your church is not doing, right? So I want to hear more about how you would respond to this. You're being critiqued about your sermon and being critiqued about what you're not doing in your church. All right, so... I had a guest... Go ahead, Andrew. I, I, I had a guest critique a sermon maybe a month or so ago. You know, like... Thanks, uh, you know, go, going outside. Hey, thanks for being here. Glad, glad to meet you. He was with a couple of people that are regular attenders of our church. And it was a, hey, I've heard this text preached by name drop, name drop, name drop. You didn't fill in the blank, fill in the blank, fill in the blank. And by the time I got home, I had a Facebook message from the people that he was visiting with saying, I am so sorry. And I replied like, honestly didn't even phase me one little bit. There are three or four people in the church who, if they have a sermon critique, I am, I am ready for it and will, will take it. But the vast majority of other people, it's not gonna, not gonna hurt me too, too much. Now, if someone starts to raise a stink and, you know, they're forming a militia and and it's gaining momentum, then maybe it's time to pause and listen. But typically, if one person that doesn't have the relational capital to criticize me starts criticizing, then okay. All right. So I have kind of a couple things I go to when I receive criticism because I've gotten criticism before too. Frank, one of your, like what you just said, one of mine was during illustration. Like I used a word and the lady thought the word meant something than what I used. So she took the whole illustration very personal and offensive and then when I called her, she was like, oh, okay. I didn't know that word meant that. And I was like, yes, ma'am. I would never try to offend you. So I think- What was it, the word? What was shame. the word? It was uh, field dressing. Field dressing. 
she 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 took the word field dressing which is what you do to an animal when you're harvesting it after you killed it as shanking so when i talk about someone field dressing a deer in their front yard in her community she received it as someone shanking another human being in her community i mean i i, I can understand how she'd get offended you know um, but there are a few questions I, I tend to ask myself when I receive criticism. And the first thing I always try to do is identify how that criticism makes me feel. Because that's the first thing that's going to come to mind. The first thing that's going to be engaged with you is your heart. So like first thing I do is en engage how it makes me feel. After my last time I spoke, an older lady, she's 87, came up and offered me some critique. And at first I was like, whatever i'm the preach i mean i studied on this sermon and then you know as soon as i realized how it made me feel i was like wow her point was actually more thought out than what i spent an hour to think out and she was very the wisdom she gave me i need to receive that so if i wouldn't have taken a second to see how i feel i would have blown her off the second thing i always try to consider is identify the venue that which you heard the criticism in is this venue you heard it publicly blasting you on facebook because that reveals something about the heart and the motive of the person who's criticizing, or is the venue a humble phone call or an, an email that you know is very hard for that person to write because they don't want to correct you. To me, the best criticism I've ever seen is an email that went out. I can't give too much details, but an email went out onto our staff um, this past week and it was just criticism and I read it. And I'll be honest, I teared up as I read it because I'm like, I hear this individual's heart. They only want good for our church. So, which brings me to the last thing I try to, after I identify how it makes you feel and how I heard it, I try to root the criticism. Like, where does it root down into? Is it uh, ap application and how we're applying ministry or is it in philosophy of ministry? Is it in doctrine? Because some of those criticisms, like how I'm carrying out the ministry, if you don't like the words I say before we baptize, we can have a conversation. But if you fundamentally disagree with the method by which we baptize, then that's a philosophical thing. So you can critique me, but I don't have the margin to make that change. So uh, I think there is that. And then lastly, and I, this is the last thing I do, if they're unwilling to engage you in conversation, if they just got to speak loud, there's a lady who, who left our church and she made sure she told somebody the problems she had with our worship guy. And the lady who she told carried out Matthew 18 and said, well, you should go tell this guy this thing who's on staff. And she goes, "Uh, -uh I ain't going to say nothing, but you can. And it's like, well, this person doesn't really want the criticism she had and she doesn't really want to speak it for whatever reason she wants us to fall in a different place. So I try to root that criticism. And if it's not being rooted in gospel transformation, the Holy spirit, we know that his role in criticism is unity. So if it doesn't look like it's heading in the space of unity, I try not to give it ear. I, I mean, I think I would say, agree with all that. I, I think it depends on the person. It depends on where it's coming from with them. I know in, you know, we're Protestants and we really emphasize the priesthood of all believers, and I do too. But the reality is, I mean, our part of our profession is to study. We've all had specific training on how to do that. We've taken classes on how to preach. And so sometimes when people criticize a sermon, and I don't mean this in a prideful way, but that's the reality is they're just not qualified to make that kind of criticism. Um, I want them to be, and part of my job is to equip them to be. But 
if I were to go to, you know, there's nurses in my congregation. If I show up at their job and critique how they, you know, use a syringe to inject somebody, I'm not qualified to make that kind of critique. So there's some times where if it's coming from a bad place in a person where they just kind of want to make noise or, you know, I've had the experience here where there was a person who felt like maybe they should have gotten into the position that I'm in. Uh, so they were hypercritical about everything I did because, you know, if I was running things, I would do it better. I, I mean, some of that stuff, you just got to let it pass you by, you know. Um, I think, you know, in the New Testament, when we read that, uh, you sh- you know, be careful, those of you who are teachers, you're going to be judged more harshly. Uh, I-, I think that, yes, I agree that that, you know, that judgment is uh, coming from from God somewhat. But I also think there's a sense in which that can also be people are going, if you're on a pedestal, you're, you're a, an easy target. So if you want to be in a public position, if you want to uh, be, you know, it, from my past, if you want to be a worship leader and stand on a stage and sing, I mean, people are going to tell you when you sing flat. That's just like part of the deal. Um, so if you're going to stand up on a stage and preach, I mean, expect there to be some criticism. And when you don't get criticism, be, you know, be glad you were blessed. Um, it just depends on the person, you know, if they're running up to you right after, and I, I think you said this Greek word wrong, or you did this, or, you know, there's, oh, I there's know a I said the Greek word wrong. There's not a question. Uh-huh. I mispronounced the O or ah, you know, my and bad. if it's, if it was old Testament Hebrew, for sure, I said it wrong. For sure. Um, it was wrong. For sure. Um, yeah, there's a lady in my church who like, she has degrees in Greek, biblical Greek, and like she can, you know, run run around the block on me with that. And she has come up to me very gently, very wisely, and just said, hey, have you ever thought about this? That kind of critique, I'll take that all day, please. I I would love that. I would love to set you up to please do that. So the kind of people that, this is my experience, this is a tendency, the kind of people that you want critique from are not the kind of people that are usually going to give it to you because they're mature, they love you, they want what's best for you in the church. The kind of people who tend to be free with their criticism are usually the ones who, you know, are going to write on the back of the the connect card without a name on it and say something ridiculous that, honestly, if it doesn't have a name on it, I'm just throwing it away. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of where I am. It's just it all depends, but you should expect criticism. That's just part of our it's part of our calling. I always like the, getting the critiques from the uh, the thrice divorced guy about how. You know, I should be more reverent with, with an illustration. Like, yeah. yeah, buddy. Okay, sure. It's always, always, always consider the source and remember that hurt people hurt people. Like, yeah. If, well, if, that's if a it. really healthy person is is criticizing me, that's probably a criticism that needs to be heard. But if someone is in the midst of crisis of, of yes. their own, they're not criticizing me. They are lashing out for anything and everything they can lash out towards. So that being said, never waste a crisis. Like in, in, in the sense of if someone's criticizing you and you know that this criticism is coming from a bad place, maybe that is God inviting you to have a conversation with him about the real Mm -hmm. thing. You know, I I had a couple in my last church was like that. They were critiquing me on some stuff and I said, let's just enter the conversation. Turn out that their marriage was falling apart. But instead, they can just like they're yeah. the enemy and my enemy is my friend. We can identify this thing. But when we get into it, so like the criticism that you don't receive, I would say still investigate. 
because that may not be the criticism you need to receive, but there's a, if these are your congregants and you've been entrusted with shepherding them, if there's something broken in there, then definitely we're required to step into that, at least investigate, you know, whereas, you know, that little old lady who critiqued me a couple weeks ago, I know this, she prays for me every single day of the week. Every day, by name, she lifts up me, my wife, and my kids. So when she wants to talk to me after church and offer me some words of wisdom, that's a whole different level. Yeah. So uh, I want you to answer this question because I've heard this from some pastors in regards to like, especially the past year where there's been so many like heated conversations about whether they're mad at what the church is not doing or is doing or whatever. Someone said like, your church can't be for everybody, right? If, if, if they have criticism, perhaps the best response to be is to gently allow them to go and find a new place to worship. And so I'll, I'll put my cards on the table. I, I'm kind of conflicted on that sentence and that statement. In part one, I, I do agree that like not every church is for everybody. So like, for example, let's go back to the complementarian question. Like if someone's extremely egalitarian and worshiping a complementarian church is like, uh, causing them to sin or whatever. Like, I think it's such a secondary issue that there are churches that I would gladly send them to so they can worship without that kind of, um, uh, the grief or the, the weight of whatever that means for being a complementary church. Same thing with like, if a church wants more liturgy or higher, got like a high church or something like that. But I, I think my tension comes from, it, it seems like if we're so quick to to pull this trigger of saying, well, this church isn't for you. Let me help you find somewhere else. Then I think we're like, we're like trying to abdicate our responsibility in discipling people, you know what I'm saying? And like helping them move along in their process. And so I, I guess my, 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 my concern is we, we often, we might use this sentence or might we use this attitude as a way to just not deal with the messiness of, of sheep, right? Our own congregation. But I, I don't know where the fine line is. Cause like if someone keeps constantly criticizing your church because it's not doing everything they dream of, yeah, maybe this church isn't for them. But at the same time, what if there's this immaturity that we talked about and how can we help them grow in maturity? That means the messy work of pastoring in the midst of their mess. But when do you make the decision? Yeah. I mean, you can't disciple someone that doesn't want to be discipled. Well, that's you know, that's like if, if, if someone's placing themselves under your authority, then and by your authority, I mean the authority of the scripture and the authority of the church, not, you know, Andrew Larson's personal authority. But I'm saying if someone... If someone's like, well, that's fine, I'm going to leave the church. Well, they don't want to be under the authority of your church anymore anyway. And you can't disciple someone that doesn't want to be discipled. Yeah, I think another place that I would definitely draw a line is what is the relationship this person has with your church? If they are in covenant covenant membership with your church, that means they are church family. I'm not going to look at my little boy because he wants to have you know candy worms for dinner and be like, oh, well, maybe this family's just not for you. You can go next door where they don't care what you eat. Um, I actually just lost one of my best friends at our campus, not because of an issue he had with me, but because of an issue he had with leadership in the church above me. And he, he voiced his concern to me through tears. And he's like, I'm afraid we have to go. And then I was kind of caught off guard. So I really didn't know what to say, but I went back to him later and I was like, Hey man, I know that you're a covenant member of this church family doesn't just flee. I said, you owe it to yourself, your family, and and our pastor to have a conversation with him. So he emailed our pastor, which was the right thing to do. And it was done very graciously. On the tail end of that, 
he still decided it's best for him and his family to go. But you know what? I'm not mad at that dude at all because he took this very seriously. Like they, they dedicated serious time to making this decision. They weren't fleeing from one thing to another. They weren't running from something. Um, they were genuinely seeking God. So to me, if they have a relationship with this church in that they are a member, then I think it's my duty not to just be like, well, this isn't a good place for you. Maybe you should go somewhere else because you are an, I have a relationship with you that's deeper than that. Now, if they've just been hanging out on the fringes for two months and it doesn't work out, that's a totally different conversation to have. But I think we as pastors have a right biblically to hold our congregants to a standard. That standard being at least we have a conversation, not just by Felicia. So I think um, part of my feel like I, when I re- read these kind of statements, I tend to have a negative, immediate negative reaction. Um, but I think part of that is because I only ever hear these kind of like these. Well, if they, you know, if they're not on board, then they can, you know, I'm going to help them find somewhere else. It kind of comes from like the church growth, like sort of growing the numbers above everything else crowd. Or at least that's where I hear it from. So I tend to have a negative reaction towards it. But I do think, you know, like Andrew said, you can't force somebody to want to submit to leadership. And people can go in and out of seasons of where, you know, your church was a good fit and it wasn't. Having said that, I also think church is a family and you don't just leave your family. So I think it's a difficult one because of our culture. We're so individualistic that we tend to look at church as something that's going to meet my needs and not a place where I get to meet other people's needs um, and where I get to engage fully. And so, uh, you know, it's a case by case, you know, basis, but I do think that I've experienced both of these. I've experienced it where someone had some issue that was really a secondary issue. And if you come alongside them and say, Hey, it's a secondary issue. We really can worship together through this. Like we, you don't have to leave. And I've seen that, you know, work out. And then there's been times where it's like, look, I, I mean, if this is going to be this big of an issue for you, I mean, I'm not going to change my theology. Uh, I'm not going to change even my philosophy of ministry. And you may need to find a place where it works. I mean, this happened when I first came here over small groups. We were going to move to small groups. That's, that was my plan all along. I talked about it, you know, with the church leadership and the hiring process. And I had a young family who I honestly wish was still here because, Young families are like gold. And, um, you know, they said, well, we don't, we're just not going to do small groups. And it was like, I, I hear you. I understand you. Um, but we're going to do small groups because I really believe in it. And this is what we're going to do. What uh, do they want to so, do? Sunday you know, school? Well, they had what, to be honest, what they wanted was they didn't want to have any accountability with anybody. Um, and so that was the issue under the issue there, you know, the argument was, why should I come to your manufactured Christian community when I have my own? Um, but all of that Christian community was outside of the church family. So it was a way to sort of keep your world separate, not have anybody know anybody in your two separate worlds. And so anyway, that, so what I'm saying is, you know, there are times when if someone is just going to be that set on it, it, it is healthier for you to not live in that tension as a pastor all the time. You know, you see that person in the lobby and immediately you're like, Oh, you know, what's going to happen today? Or you guys all know what I'm talking about. That tension that happens when somebody is like critical of everything you do and they're just negative all the time. It can be great when they're like, you know what? 
I think we're going to move on because of this issue. And you're like, well, I understand that. And I appreciate it. I don't think you're sinning. I, I, I pre- they came and talked to me. They did it the right way. But it was just like, yeah, this is what we're going to do. I'm not going to change, you know, uh, a, a whole set of plans that I came into this church with that the leadership is on board with because you don't like it. I, I appreciate your opinion, but this is what we're going to do. I'd love to have you. I want to have you. I think you'll, you know, I think you'll grow in these groups. I think your kids will, it'll be good for them. But if that's, if that's not what you want, I, I mean, there's not much I can do for you. And I mean, Dell, your illustration is great, except that like these are adults in our family. You know what I mean? These are not children who we have to feed broccoli instead of candy so that they're oh, healthy. I'm not saying that you don't let them leave. I'm, yeah, say, yeah, I'm yeah. saying that you treat them like adults and have a conversation. Because generally I found that when people leave, they're either running from something or being led yeah. or being led to something. And as my as a pastor, that's my heart to at least try to discern this. Is this person running from something? They have an agenda. It's not being met, but this church over here is. Or are they genuinely yeah. being led away from our congregation? Um, the, the number one thing I have done to discover this, aside from talking to my people, is this. Have a relationship with the local pastors in your area. Yeah, I was going to say it. the same thing. Because yeah. there's, a, there's a congregant left our church, went to a church down the road. The pastor says, hey, um, you're, in, you're in leadership over at that other church. Why are you here? I mean, he pretty much said mm-hmm. it like that. And that person got found, oh, you're not going to be able to run because our pastors know right. each other. Like that is a really effective way to help close the back door in your church for people who are specifically running. Hey, let me let yeah. me add one more thing in here. I think a lot of the criticism that we get, and may, maybe this is just my context. I pastor a small size church in Florida. We got a lot of old people. And my family and I are regularly in the youngest 10%, if not the youngest 5% of the people in the church um, or of the adults in the church on a regular basis. Some of the criticism that, that I get is not, you know, it's easy to be like, oh, this person doesn't like my preaching. They don't like me being in authority. Sometimes it's just, I liked it better a different way in a different age. If you can take some criticism on the chin Especially, you know, you not every not every bit of criticism has to be a fight. Sometimes you can you can get criticized about something, and it's something that really doesn't make a whole bunch of difference to you. But yep. you acknowledging that criticism is going to get you all kinds of relational capital to spend later. Take that bad boy on the chin and just own it. Yep, mm-hmm, absolutely, you're right. And maybe you throw in one sentence in another sermon two or three weeks later that nobody in the congregation is going to get except for that little old lady or that gentleman. And you are going to have a lifelong friend and supporter because you listened to their criticism and you did something about it. And it could be something that you don't necessarily think was worth criticism, or you might not have even, you know, changed your opinion on the thing, but just by having somebody else feel seen and heard, you are going to have a lifelong supporter. So criticism can be a very good way to cultivate great relationships, especially across generations. Well, and it's it's pretty difficult to ask people to grow and transform and change their ways when you're stubborn as an ox. Yeah, you won't listen to anything, you know. So you've got to demonstrate it, or you know, you might as well quit now. That's good. I want, on that note, I want to end the, this, this this conversation. I think that the summary I'm taking is is that criticism is nuanced. Not all of it's good. Not all of it's bad. 
Um, and there's actually ways to leverage criticism into your favor. I like what Andrew said is like, so you, you made me think of something where, uh, I was in that difficult passage where, uh, I mean, Jesus was basically just criticizing, um, folks and saying that like your, your, your actions will demonstrate what you believe. Like if you, if you really have faith, your life will demonstrate it. And, and there's like no way to talk about like that without, people thinking you're being legalistic, you know what I'm saying, to some degree. And I, I had this conversation with someone trying to explain to them, like, there's no legalism in that. It's just, like, there will be fruit to what you believe. Like, you know, your your life will have evidence of your faith. And and I love what you said. It's, like, a couple of weeks later, I specifically said, like, right living is the overflow of right belief. Like, you get saved first. And then through that, the transformation that the Holy Spirit does will lead us to, to life change. And it was a small little thing that probably no one asked for, but that, that probably built a lot of equity with that person that hopefully they heard the sermon and they're like, oh, that was for me type of thing. And so I really I really appreciate that. Um, hey, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll end the show. All right. Well, this was a good episode. As always, please subscribe to the podcast. Please give us a review. Please share this with a friend. Join the Facebook group. It means a lot for us there. We're almost at 500. We also have an Instagram account, all that kind of good stuff. And uh, and I'm, I think I can speak for all of us. Follow each of us individually. We all like to have more friends in our, in our Instagram account. We might not follow you back. Andrew doesn't. I'm, but I'm good. <laughs> but if you want to follow us, you can see, you know, uh, Andrew's love for, for local Tampa sports. You can see Tim's just constant stories of his pool because he's flexing on everybody. Uh, Look, I've Delmar. got a pool too. Mine's bigger than his, but whatever. <laughs> it's cool. Delmar posts about Ninja Turtles a lot. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a thing that uh, he's very proud of. And, and Jeff, Probably too uh, much. Lots of good, lots of good, like, um, food stuff to make you jealous of how good how, like you're not as good of a cook as jeff is that's what he wants you to know point pretty break. much yeah uh so i know for please, sure you're not as good at cutting things as i am oh i'm not i cut my finger other than your finger i was, I was gonna say <laughs> i'm like I, I, I i'm on the better end of it guys i don't think it, it doesn't hurt as much and if you didn't have to get stitches it wasn't too bad man when i, I cut my thumb they had to tear my thumbnail off and stitch yeah. underneath the yeah. nail head yeah, I had to get rough. liquid stitches, which is basically just super gluing my flesh. Super glue. It, yeah. it is sterilized super glue. It works great, though. It's great. It's painless. And I'm grateful for medical advances like that. <laughs> With that being said, I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Delmar Pete. I'm Andrew Larson. And we miss you, Timothy Miller. And we'll see you next time. This is Practically Pastor. Later. Thanks for listening. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group, where we get to share ideas and make each other better.